So if you would, open with me in your Bibles. We're, gonna, we're doing our study in Elijah, and I, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he had said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. We could say amen and close our Bibles and be done for the night if we would really lay hold on, on that verse. But the second half says, be content with such things as you have. For, and our contentment is based upon this, for he had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So Elijah, we're studying the life of Elijah. We're gleaning some things. We could, we could study just about any uh, character in the Bible that was a godly man or woman and glean some of the same things, but his life is, is uh, filled with examples and, and uh, lessons that we can learn from. And we ended last week talking about uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the spirit of Elijah, uh, which the Bible speaks of. It is the Holy Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit in his fullness upon a life, reigning in a life, ruling in a life, and and in our life, glorifying God and glorifying Christ through our lives in the New Testament era in which we live. But we talked about one of the conditions, some of the conditions about we need to be empty vessels, right, so we can be filled. We need to be uh, obedient to what the Lord shows us. And we ended with there needs to be a contentment. We need to be content, and Elijah was content. He was content. We just don't read about any grumbling or complaining or murmuring. Uh, when he was by the brook, when his brook dried up, we don't see that he complained. God spoke to him as it dried up, when it dried up, on that day. He, and, and it says Elijah went and did what the Lord told him. He traveled 100 miles by foot to Zarephath, and a widow woman sustained him. And we don't see him complaining. We see him content, waiting on the timing of God, waiting on the planning of God. We always think it's too long. And people are tempted to quit, just give up. You know, I've, I've waited too long for this promise. I've waited too long for the Lord to come through. And we've waited maybe three weeks, and God may, may want us to wait 30 years. You just don't know. But if we've heard from God, then we're going to hang in there. We're going to trust the Lord. Amen. He will bring it to pass. And there's a contentment that comes in that. He said, I'll never leave thee, the Lord said, nor forsake thee. And so we're to be content with the things that we have as Elijah would, would, was, you know that anxiety does us no good. How many of you know that? We all are prone to anxiety, to worry, to fretting, to troubling. We wake up in the morning, we're instantly troubled about something. And it gnaws at us all day long. We go to bed kind of with that on our, on our minds. God, does, that doesn't help anything. Anxiety doesn't help. It doesn't relieve anything. All it does is bring more anxiety and more stress and by faith, we need to learn to trust the Lord. I just never do you see Jesus fretting. Never do we see uh, what well, we do later in his life, but not at this point do we see Elijah during this waiting period. We don't see him fretting. Uh, it doesn't do, do any good. The Bible says, in, and Jesus said in Matthew 6, your father knoweth that you have need of these things. So whatever you and I are fretting over, the Lord knows. Amen. He knows what we have need of. And I love the way F.B. Meyer put it. He said, he who lit life's flame knows how much fuel is required to keep it burning. The one who lit the flame of your life, and certainly in Christ, 
uh, knows how much fuel is required to keep it burning. Throw all of the responsibility, and we've talked about that a lot in years past even, throw all of your responsibility freely upon him, like fully upon him. Do it. Do it by faith. Throw all of your cares, financial needs, health, whatever it may be, time. You just don't have enough time to get everything done. Whatever it may be, throw all of those cares fully upon Christ and leave them there. Amen. He who spared not his own son, but offered him up for us all, how how shall he not also with him freely give us some things? Is that what it says? All things. Freely give us all things. The Lord does. And so we can cast our cares upon him. And the one who's telling us to despair and the one who's telling us to distrust the Lord is none other than our enemy, the devil, and our flesh likes to cooperate. I would say this. Do not listen to his lies. God would tell us that. Don't listen to his lies. God has failed you. He was faithful that other time, but he's not coming through this time. He's faithful for for Federico, but he's not faithful for you. These are lies. And we tell ourselves these lies, and Satan comes and whispers them in our ears and tempts us. There's a temptation to distrust the Lord. And he, an ever-perfect, ever-faithful God, there's no reason to distrust the Lord. We're not to lie down in a bed of his lies and stay there. Have you ever done it before? Have you ever laid down? You've got the despair and the and the worry and the frettings and the doubts and God's not going to do it and God's failed and he's too. And we lay down there. We sit in a chair and we just sit in it. That's not of the Lord. We need to cast it down. We need to cast it down a thousand times in a day if we have to. But we have to cast it down. It's an act of our will and by faith we cast it down. And at the same time we're saying, Lord, help my unbelief. But don't lay in a bed of lies and despair. That is, you know, you're never going to be reconciled with your family. Never, remember, you're never going to, it's just never going to, it's never, never, never. And, and if it's of the Lord and it's something he desires to do, you trust him. And we're, I'm to trust him and believe him for that. Amen. Don't make your bed in a bed of lies and stay there. It's a bunch of despair. And <clears throat> thus saith the Lord, and we read it. You can turn to First, first Kings. We'll probably spend the rest of our time. First Kings 17. Look at verse 14. This is the Lord speaking to Elijah right after he told the widow woman. She says, we're going to make our last little biscuit. Me and my son, she's a widow. We're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. And he, he says, make me a little cake first, for thus saith the Lord. Verse 14, when we hear that, okay, we're used to it because we read the Bible and we hear it all the time. But when we hear, thus saith the Lord, then we need to park our car right there. We need to just pull up right there, get out of the bed of despair and lies, and pull up and say, what does the Lord say? What sayeth the Scriptures? Because the Scriptures are not just a bunch of words written by Christian men in, in days gone by. It is the living Word of God. It is living, and it's not like any other. It's the very God-breathed Word. And he says, thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. There's contentment and there's, there's a faith at the same time. Our contentment comes from believing God and trusting God in valleys and in mountain, on mountain peaks. Trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord when you've waited 
months or years longer than you thought you should have waited or I should have waited for some particular answered prayer. We need to trust the Lord. Amen. Trust Him. One of the other characteristics, and this is not a condition of being filled on the whole, with the Holy Spirit. It's more of a, I would say, a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But one of the things we're going to talk about tonight and glean from his life, and I, I just think it's wonderful the things that, that this author, that F.B. Myers, pulls out from, from the life of Elijah. And one of them here that we're going to see when he's, we're, we're strictly right, right now talking about his time he spent with a widow woman, okay? We talked about his time face, uh, speaking to Ahab. We talked about his time beside the brook, watching it dry up. Now we're talking about his time, this is during a three-and-a-half-year period, before he's going to call down fire from heaven, that period of three and a half years, somewhere in there, when he's with a widow woman in Zarephath, that some widow woman, we don't even know her name, okay? We don't even know her name. The Lord knows, I promise you, her name. But he, he was very gentle when he was provoked. And we just need to let that sink in for just a second. He was gentle. There was gentleness that came out of his life when he was provoked. And I have to start with myself. You start with yourself. Are we gentle when we're provoked? And it is a lesson. It's not so much a lesson as a fruit, a fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, right? It is a fruit of what? The Holy Spirit. It's not an act we put on. It's not a religious uh, practice that we simply try to try to do it, uh, we do walk in it, but it, it is a working of, of God's Spirit in our lives. You say, well, when was Elijah provoked in the widow woman's house? Well, let's read this, okay? Let's read 17, 17 through the end of the chapter. Then we'll know what we're talking about. 1 Kings 17, 17. It came to pass after these things that the son of the woman... The mistress of the house fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. Now, here's the provocation. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O man of God, thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Now, you have to think this would have been, I would say, in one sense, you might say, Well, that was uncalled for. You know what I mean? Her son dies. I know she's upset. But the fact that she's instantly blaming the man of God, this is your fault. You, by you being here, are you really come here just to make my, call my sin to remembrance? We're all sinners. She knew she was a sinner. And to slay my son. And so um, the response on his part could have been, well, you know, you would have starved to death if it wasn't for God sending me here and him speaking to me and through you to, to show you that the meal and the oil wasn't going to waste. You're being sustained through a tr time of famine because I'm here, because I am a man of God. He could have he said all kinds of things to defend himself. You know, what woman, why are you blaming me? But I just think, look, look it looks very simple enough, but her son dies and she says, are you come to me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son. And he said unto her, give me thy son. That's all he said. He knew she was upset. 
Soft answer turns away wrath. I'm not saying she was wrathful. She was probably out of her head. She was so upset. But the point is, she blames him. You Have you come here to kill my son? She would have been dead and the son a long time before had he not been there. And that provision was met through God, really through his presence being there. Okay? And yet he says, give me, give me your son. There's a gentleness there. There's a power and a strength, but there is a gentleness there where he's just saying to this widow woman, give me your son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode. So his little upstairs loft where he lived and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord. Don't just say he prayed. He cried unto the Lord. Like David cried unto the Lord and the Lord heard my cry and answered me. Okay, he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. It's just there is a gentleness there. There's a lot we can talk about from this episode, which we're going to talk about some of it. But there is a gentleness under provocation when he was provoked to, to not meet tit for tat, so to speak, to not meet with the same... Uh, force, but to meet with the Spirit of the Lord, to meet with gentleness and the Spirit of Christ. And the woman said to Elijah, now, see, th this had an effect upon her that her son was raised from the dead, a huge effect, but I think even the way he handled it and his gentleness had an effect upon her. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. So it had a great effect upon her. Y'all, there are people, and we can be, and we kind of touched on it a little bit last week about being, our Christianity being tested in the home life. Remember? The trial and the testings of the home life. And, and, and many of us can be strong and bold sometimes in, in front of other church members and people and, and be the most kind and Christ-like, and yet the least little provocation by a family member or someone when not a lot of folks are watching can, can bring out the, the most ill temper from us. And we have to guard that. I have to guard that. But she, she uh, this was a, a provocation, okay? And he just said, give me your son. And you know what this, this shows me? One of the things this shows me that, that I saw in Elijah's life and that I desperately need and we need, we need a practical godliness, a practical, you know what I mean? Like a useful, really everyday kind of holiness and godliness. Not just the big thoughts that are lofty. We need those as well. Not just the doctrine to be correct. We need that as well. Uh, not just uh, things that are sort of detached from life, but, but we need a practical godliness. I need my Christianity to be 100% Christian at home with my wife. You understand what I'm saying? I need it to be that. Sometimes we fail there, but it's a practical godliness. And 
A lot of times we might deceive ourselves, thinking we've placed all on the altar and, and speak as though it's all given to God. But when we go home or when we're le- the least provoked and eyes aren't watching us so much, then we're, we're not at all Christ-like or gentle. I say you're not Christian or I'm not Christian, but I'm simply saying we need a practical godliness. And gentleness is a great place to start. Amen? A practical godliness. There's a lot more for us to learn. A whole lot more for us to learn. And if we would surrender everything to the Lord, the one who first brought us to Christ, that's the Holy Spirit that drew us, revealed Christ to us, that same Holy Spirit who first brought us to Christ will work this gentleness in our life. He'll do it. This practical godliness. Amen? And, and he is able to do it. And so if the Holy Spirit is really filling a heart, really filling a life, then the most rude, hot-tempered man or woman on the planet, if the Holy Spirit is really filling that life, God can bring a gentleness and will bring a gentleness. I know I've talked about it before, and probably y'all know as, as well as I do, just anything you've read about Smith Wigglesworth in his life. And this has always stuck out to me about his life, that his wife was a Christian and even spoke and ministered and led people to the Lord and was involved in ministry. And he was a plumber. He couldn't read. He was uneducated. He was rough and gruff and complained and the most miserable man for his Christian wife to live with. But she prayed for him. She prayed for him. Finally, he used to complain about her cooking. No matter what she made, It was not good enough. It was no good. When he got saved, he said his wife's cooking was the best ever, the best cooking he'd ever tasted. He was totally transformed. It's real salvation. doesn't mean he was perfect, perfect, but it does show the working of the Holy Spirit. He was totally different than what he was and, and so much like the Lord right there at home with his wife. It's, it's an amazing thing. It is something that the Lord can do. And I just simply ask, uh, th- this would be like an evidence of our salvation, right? It would be an evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It would be an evidence that a life, my life has truly changed. And I would have to ask myself and ask you, and you just ask it to yourself, are, the, are these evidences in your, in your life? Is it evident, really, have you learned the good Christianese speak that we know all the right things to say? Or is it really evident in your heart of hearts and the people closest to you that you are really changed and new in Christ? Because that's, that's what he came to do is make us new in Christ. And he can do it. Don't, dis, don't despair as though he can't. The next thing we're going to look at real quickly is the power of a holy life. And I think we saw that at the end of what that chapter 17. Think about it for a second. There's a power. Holy life is wonderful. That's what we're all called to, to do and to be, right? Be holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord, in all manner of conduct, behavior, conversation. But there's a power to that life that a another life doesn't have. Certainly a non-believer doesn't have that, but a Christian who's walking with one foot in the world or, or kind of living a life of compromise or living a, a a carnal life as a Christian, at least for a period of time, they're not going to have the power of a holy life. There's actually a power to our testimony, and there's a power to it 
that, uh, that God can use and he does use is the power of a holy life, power of a life that's set apart to the Lord. And so uh, think about this. We, we don't see that Elijah, we don't necessarily know because the Bible doesn't tell us a lot of details about their conversations, the widow woman and Elijah or her son. But it, it, does, it does say when the son died, she said, uh, art thou, what have I to do with thee, O man of God? She knew as a man of God. Art thou come to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? I think what, what was happening there is that her life, she was feeling the conviction of sin because of the presence of Elijah in her home. We don't know that he ever spoke to her about her own sin. And that is, there is a power to that. It's actually a good thing, a very good thing, okay? Because just his presence being there and the life he lived in his prayer life and the, and the Lord in him, okay, and the Holy Ghost upon him and his gentleness and, and his love for truth and his love for the word, these things had an effect upon her. Even if they never spoke about her sin, I believe she had the conviction. The Holy Spirit, when he's come, Jesus said, will reprove or convict or convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So if you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, there are times we're to speak and speak the gospel, speak a word of exhortation, speak uh, a, a rebuke to sin if God leads us to whatever it may be. And there's times, not just times, all the time that we should be holy and all the times that we should live it. I know that uh, when I've listened to the, uh, the revival hymn and that compilation of the different uh, ministers, it's just so holy and so wonderful. Uh, Duncan Campbell says, "What have I know? Maybe it's uh, Leonard Ravenhill says, have we no righteousness which reflects upon the corruption around us? In other words, it ought to. Just you walking into a room, there's a, a record that Charles uh, Finney, that Finney uh, walked into a, a group of, there were some young ladies there, and just his, the, his presence there, I don't even know if they knew who he was, convicted them of their sin. It brought this one young girl into conviction of her sin, and she repented and got saved. He hadn't preached or anything, just his life. And, and there ought to be that within us. Christ within us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that, that that reflects upon the darkness around us. The light in us is so great that people being in our presence would discern there's something holy about us if they're around us for some period of time. And, and I, I really believe that there is a power. Our, our holy walk with the Lord can bring a rebuke to the sin that's around us. That's not a bad thing. It's not being judgmental. It is Christ in us and our holy life and our holy conduct bringing a rebuke on the sin that's just flaunted all around us and prevalent around us. Again, it's not, it's not you or me trying to be holier than thou. That is truly holiness by the Holy Spirit. And God, I believe, touched this widow woman I know he did through Elijah's life. 
And if we're trying to be holy, then if there's sin in our life, y'all, we have to confess it to God. Amen? If there's sin in our lives, we have to confess it to God. I'm speaking to Christians. If there's sin in your life, you have to confess it to God. You can't forget about it, shove it to the back corner of your brain, and think it, it'll, it'll go away. If I can forget about it, it'll go away. It doesn't ever go away. There's only one remedy, and that's the blood of Jesus. But that is sufficient. Amen? Don't kick it to the background. Bring it to the forefront. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We have to bring our sin to God. And we're talking about living a holy life and the power of a holy life. If there's sin in my life, whether I think it's little, big, or medium, whether it was 20 years ago and I never repented of it, or if it was two seconds ago, we need to bring it before the Lord. Because those sins can be brought back to remembrance and be as fresh and painful as though it just happened, even though it might have happened 10 years ago. But if it's under the blood, the only way you will forget is if it's under the blood, okay? The only way I will forget, uh, it says in Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. He, he forgets because he washes us and cleanses us because we came for confession to the Lord. We confess to God our sins. That means we agree with God this is sin. I did it. It's against your holy righteousness and against yourself, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And we come to God and we ask his forgiveness. And he does every single time. But don't put it off. Don't kick it to the side. I just don't want to think about that. It was so ugly. It was so horrible. Or I don't think it was that big a deal. Whatever size it is, bring it to God. It's not going away. Okay. You want the power of a holy life, and I want the power of a holy life that reflects on the world around us that's in darkness, then I have to have all known sin confessed to God and under the blood. And if it's not known, I can't really be responsible other than say, God, show me if there's hidden sin in my heart, and he will certainly do that. When it becomes known, that's when we confess it to God. Amen? The last thing we're going to talk about Elijah's life and uh, tonight, again, these more like godly traits or characteristics. There's a secret of a giving life. He gave. And what did he give this woman? Well, his presence there, God gave the provision, right, the food that was needed. But it was because of his presence being there. And what did he just give and what we read? He gave the widow woman's back to her, widow's son, back to her alive. He gave life, Okay. And you can, you've heard it said before, we can't give what we don't have. But we absolutely can and must give what we do have in Jesus' name. We are stewards. You know that? We have to remind ourselves, if you have money, you're a steward of that money. If you have health and strong body and able to use it to serve God and others, we're a steward of that. We have a lot of time. Or whatever time we do have, we're a steward of that. We're a steward of our possessions. We're a steward of our uh, intelligence or whatever. Cleverness to, to do something or to fix something. We're stewards of it. And we, we need to be quick to give, not foolishly, not casting our pearl before swine or something like that, but giving as God has given to us. When I think about Peter and John going to the temple I always think how many times before had they been to the temple and passed the gate beautiful and seen the lame man because he laid out there every day. And he was lame from his birth. 
and people carried him and laid him out there. But this day, this particular day, Peter and John says, being full of the Holy Ghost, so they did have something, didn't they? They had the Holy Ghost. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They had Christ in them. And they said, look upon us. The man looked upon them, expecting some alms. They said, look at us over here. Get your attention over here. We don't have any silver or gold, but such as I have, in the, I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Isn't this like Elijah? This is Peter and John filled with the Holy Ghost. They gave what they had, which was far better than silver or gold or a little money for a little food. And they said, look upon us. And they gave what they had. He says it very clearly, such as I have. I don't have money to spare or maybe don't have money at all, but I'm giving you what I do have. We're giving you what we do have. We have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. We must give what we have. There's a world around us that needs what we have. There is a world around us that needs who we know. They need him more than, more than silver or gold or a little extra money that we have. They need the Lord, and they need what he can give them. Amen? And so everywhere he went, we're just looking at Elijah, for example. He brought resurrection life, didn't he? Everywhere he went, and we saw it right there. And if we will yield to God and be obedient to God, you and I will be basically an instrument or a channel through which God can do what he wants to do, to touch people, to show his power, to show his love, to show his goodness. He's able to do that through our lives. Amen? A few conditions. We're, we're going to be bringing this to a close, but a few conditions... If we're going to live a holy life and be used by God and have the power of a holy life, there, there's a, a few things that, that we're going to have to do. It doesn't come cheaply or easily. We can live a Christian life and kind of just skate through life, halfway serving God and halfway not. But that's not the life we're talking about, is it? That's not what we're talking about Elijah tonight. We wouldn't be talking about Elijah tonight if he had lived that kind of life. He was separated unto God, and we're talking about him here still today. And it can be lonely. At times, it can be lonely to separate yourself unto God. I'm not asking for a show of hands. I am asking you just to think on it for a second. Have you experienced that? Have you stepped out, even amongst Christians? Let's say there's a sea of Christians in your life, and even amongst them, God has called you to step out further, deeper, more separated unto God. It can be lonely. Don't shrink back from it. God will come along and be your comfort. He will be your friend. He'll be your companion. But I can tell you it is very real. I remember, and I, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but when Dee and I have talked about her life in high school where she was serving God, and it could, it, was, it could be very lonely. She had friends, but they were at a certain level, if you know what I mean, acquaintances and friendships. She, she was going on with the Lord in a much deeper way and a deeper calling of holiness to please God and to serve the Lord in her life. It can be lonely, but God comes along and strengthens us. But the point is that, that it can be that, and we have to count some of the cost. Everybody's going to see this movie. Everybody in our church is going to see this movie, 
God gives you a conviction about it and says, don't go see that movie. You're not going to miss anything, Randy. You don't need to go see that movie. Stay here with me. And everybody goes on and they can't quite figure you out and can't understand and you, you can't explain it to them. Because they're Christians too. You understand what I'm saying? That's real. And I can talk to the young people and the teenagers here when you're at school and everybody's a Christian and you're in a Christian school and God's called you on deeper. You go with God. You go on with Him. You go on with Him all the way. Everybody's going to do it. You know what? I always say you're not missing anything. You're not missing anything. What you're going to have in return, maybe not that moment, but in your life, in the days ahead, is going to so far surpass that you'll laugh to think that you ever wanted to go see the movie in the first place. I'm talking about amongst Christians. I'm not even talking about coming out from the world and being separate. I'm talking about a holy call of God upon your life, and you don't see your other brothers and sisters in the Lord walking in that, and you say, well, what's the deal? And God says, here's the deal. You come on with me. I'll take care of them. You let me take care of your Christian friends. You come on with me over here. And we go on with him over there, and we're so blessed. We're so blessed because of it. I am far, far from being where I need to be, but I know that that was a huge turning point in my life. One, when I surrendered to the Lord in college and came out of my worldly friends, and two, very short time after that, after I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, that he called me out of some Christian friends, in a sense. Not that I rejected them or was done with them, but quickly learned that's not, they're not my example. They're not my role model. They're not my goal. Christ is my goal. And if they're coming on, fine. And if they're not coming on, I'm going on anyway. And I didn't have a preacher telling me that or nobody telling me that or a book. I didn't read a Christian book in my life by that time. It was the Lord telling me, you're going to come on or not. And we go on. And God is faithful. So I'm going to tell you young people and you young people in Christian schools, you go on with the Lord. The people around you are not your role models. Christ is your role model. Well, they're Christians, and they're all going to see it. They're Christians. They're all going to this event or that event. And God says, well, come, come out from among them. Come over here with me. Come over here with me. You're not missing anything except a heartache and some kind of damage to your soul, some vexing of your soul. You're not missing anything. God's called you to himself. You want the power of a holy life? Then we've got to live holy. Amen. I'm not talking about misery. I'm talking about seriousness about your walk with God and then receiving the joy that he gives in that life. Amen? By his spirit. You wouldn't trade it for anything. Amen? wouldn't trade it for anything. There's going to be humility in that life, <clears throat> gentleness in that life. Even when you think about it, <clears throat> it didn't really strike me this way, but for Elijah to, to take time with the child, to bring him up to his room, lay him on his bed, you know, and then cry out. There was, pers there was some humility there. Uh, and there was also, and the last thing we'll really talk about, there was also uh, a perseverance. He prayed three times, right? We can just read over that real quickly and, and not take it to heart, but he stretched himself on the child, and he said, cried unto the Lord, let this child's soul come into him. He cried to the Lord three times. And so there, there needs to be a, a, 
a practice. This is something God needs to work in all of our lives of intercession and a practice of travailing in prayer. He was going to be learning a lesson because on the, on the mountaintop when he's praying for rain, he prays seven times, right? He's going to be praying more. But the point is, he wasn't daunted by that. He wasn't deterred by that. How many times have we gotten, felt really spiritual and really strong and we cry out to the Lord for something and it doesn't happen? We might quit after the first time. We might shrink back from that and say, oh, maybe I miss God on that. Maybe it's just not his will. We shouldn't, there shouldn't be any maybes about it. We need to find out. If it is his will, I need to stay there and pray, okay? I need to stay there and pray how long until the answer comes. We'll study that, that life lesson and biblical lesson when we get to the, when he's up on the mountain, Carmel praying for rain. But here we see that there's a perseverance, and he was not daunted by a failure, you could say, the first time. You know what the failure was? It's a testing of God. God will purposely delay. I say he re not refuse to answer, but he'll purposely delay our prayers because he wants to test, are you going to keep pressing on? He'll purposely delay. He's not being cruel or mean. He's trying to do something in your life. He's trying to do something in my life. Will you persevere? Will you persevere and keep praying? His supplication the third time, why it was the third time, only the Lord knows. But the Bible says men ought always to pray and not to faint. Not sometimes. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. It doesn't mean every single breath that we're saying a prayer. It does mean we live a life of prayer and we prayer and we continue. And we continue praying for the things that God has led us to pray for by the Holy Spirit. Okay? We pray until the answer comes. Amen? It says the Lord, Elijah took the child, it says, and the Lord heard Verse 3, two, and the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. So he didn't, he, he probably, he heard him all three times, but for some reason he had him persevere, okay, and pray. The, and the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came unto him again, and he revived, amen? Came unto him and re revived. If we're going to be holy, there has to be, there's a cost that's paid. Blood of Jesus paid for our sins. We don't add to that at all. But if you want to live this life he's called you to, it is going to cost something. It's going to cost trying to hold on to all the other things that he's trying to get us to let go of. What is it going to cost? It's going to cost all of that. Not 90% of it. It's called all of it. Whatever is of the world that he is trying to pry our fingers off of, it's going to cost that. And he's going to find out. Are we sincere and willing to pay the price? He will help us to do it. We couldn't do it without him. But there is a willful choice that we make to say, yes, Lord. And we let go. Abraham had to offer up Isaac. He had to offer him. God spared him, but he was offered. You understand? And so we have, we have to offer to the Lord. And I'm just going to close with that. That thought about the holiness, and uh, D, you can come on up, but there is a power, y'all, and I think it's really, we don't, may not think of it that way, but there's a power in being holy. There's a power not going around and saying to everybody, look how holy I am. 
a power in really living separated unto God, hearing his voice, obeying him, being filled with the Holy Ghost, going through good times, bad times, a lot of people, no people at church, around a bunch of heathen, just living a holy life all the time. And there's a power to that. There's a power that the Lord can use and he desires to use. And there's no reason that all of us in this room, if we've been born again, can't be baptized in the Holy Spirit and live a holy life separated unto God. There's no reason that we cannot. Every provision is made for us. Well, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know my family. You don't know my home life. You don't know what my friends at school are like. None of that matters. Daniel was in Babylon, right? Three Hebrews were in Babylon. You can live a life separated to God if you choose to and come before the Lord and receive his provision for that life by his spirit. Y'all stand with me tonight. We're going to pray. Don't forget, we've got a little birthday celebration afterwards. But before that, please, y'all, this is too important. Would we come to the altars for just a few minutes, come before the Lord, lay down your life at the altar, come before the Lord, maybe have some unconfessed sin. I don't need to know it. But you, could, you would confess tonight to the Lord. He would be blotted out and, and out of your remembrance as well. Anything that is in your life that God would be putting his finger on, any, any type of witness, you say, I want to be so much bolder. I want to have that inward righteousness that reflects on their corruption. We come to God for that. We come to the Lord for that. And say, God, I'm not gentle with my spouse. God, I'm not gentle with my children. I'm harsh when, I, when a lot of people aren't watching. I'm easily provoked, God. Forgive me. Produce this gentleness, this fruit of the Spirit in my life that I would be Christ-like. Come before the Lord. Let's talk to him. Let's call upon him tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We need you, Lord.